here's the crazy situation. Um, now I just transitioned from announcements to uh, kind of pastor teaching things. Um, so <clears throat> Mike Clunky is uh, my co-pastor, and he normally anchors a lot of the teachings on Sunday morning. And the plan was for him to launch into a two-part series on missionaries. Um, he's going to be talking about a guy named Bruchko, um, which is it's a really cool story. But Mike is, he's sick, like really sick. Um, and, uh, and so as of last night, um, <laughs> officially, we, uh, we made a call that he's not going to be here. Um, but we've got, I, I'm actually really excited about the plan. Um, so I'm glad that you're here. This is basically going to be an opportunity for you to decide where we go this morning. Um, we're, you're going to have uh, an opportunity to ask questions um, of me. In light of that, actually, we've got kind of, we're like divided into two sections here. You guys in the back, I'd really like you to move forward. This is going to be um, interactive. Um, I, you're going to be asking me questions. We're going to be talking, and I think having you closer... You, Harold, great job. Jake, good job. I, I'm, I actually do want you, to, you guys to move up. Some of you are just sitting there. You're not moving. I'll start calling more names if you need to. Um, okay, so this is our opportunity to trust God and adapt. Um, let me just give you a little bit of a, a context. Is... Um, so I don't even know if I've told you this. My name is Matt Wolkoski. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I've been serving as a pastor for a little over 17 years. Been actively following God for about 35 years, if you can believe it. Um, in vocational ministry for 28, married for 25, parent for 21. Um, it's a wide range of ministry experience, life experiences, conversations with people about just about anything. Um, I've done ministry uh, overseas um, in the Ukraine, in Germany, in Italy, um, worked with in impoverished areas in Mexico, Memphis. Um, I have experienced a lot of just life stuff, um, having a parent die, um, just various tragedies, um, Walked through a lot of relational issues myself um, and with others. Um, done a lot of premarital counseling, a lot of weddings. Taught a lot of seminars, ranging from theological issues to very practical time management and just life skills. I have done seminary um, at a number of different schools. Um, so this is, this is just an opportunity for you to ask whatever you'd like. My one request is that you ask a question that matters to you. That's very subjective, but um, that's my desire. In light of that, my desire is that you ask the question live. And we've got two mics set up over here. Um, and some of that is, I'd just like this to be as personal and authentic as it possibly can be. And I might need to clarify your question. 
um, or there may be a follow-up question. Um, but if for whatever reason um, you have a question that you just really feel uncomfortable asking live, we do have an, uh, another option. Um, we've got Heather's cell phone number there. You can go ahead and text her, um, and she will ask your question without revealing where that text came from, if she knows where that text came from. Um, so that is an option. Again, I would say my strong preference, if you're willing, is for you to go ahead and, and ask it yourself. So that's the plan. You guys up for it? Yeah. All right. So um, we'll, uh, we'll see where this goes. I'm going to pray, and we'll, we'll see where God takes us. Lord God, thank you for this opportunity. We do pray for Mike. Uh, he is not doing well. And I know Luke is sick, and I think Michelle and the girls are out of town. And uh, God, we just ask that you would be merciful um, and help him to recover quickly and to trust you uh, within his, I'm sure, frustrating um, and di difficult circumstances. And um, Lord, this morning we look to you, and we ask that you would uh, guide us, direct us, lead us, um, take us where you want to take us uh, for our good and for your glory. Uh, Lord, we give this, these minutes to you, and we thank you that we can gather um, as your people around your word, and uh, we pray that you would speak during this time. In your son's name we pray. Okay, this is where, this is where it's up to you. So, some bold person, kick us off. You can adjust the mic as need be, or even take it off the stand. question okay out of genesis 18 yep. i've always had a question about this section of scripture uh it says the lord appeared to abraham so i'm in genesis 18 verse 1 okay uh, the lord appeared to abraham by the oaks of mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold three men were standing in front of him when he saw them he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said oh lord if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. So my question is, if you know or what your thoughts on are on why is it God appearing as three people? Does that have any representation of the Trinity or is it just how he chose to appear to Abraham? <laughs> Aaron, that's a, <clears throat> that's a good Aaron question. Um, so... The response may be somewhat short. That, that's an example of a place where we have limited information. And there's some things that are very clear, um, is that those beings, <laughs> people, angels, God incarnate, um, 
were, were there representing God. Um, but in terms of what exactly was going on, I just don't think we're given those details. And so, and I think that's one of the huge principles with scripture is the things, and this, this is a filter that I think we can use all over the place, is my firm belief is the things that God wants us to know clearly are clear in scripture. And there's a lot in scripture that is very, very clear and really hard <laughs> to reason away or to explain away or to avoid. Um, but then there are pieces that are extremely mysterious um, and there are parts that are mixed. And I think that's probably an example of one that, that is mixed. And I think uh, one of the things that um, is important is for us to, to not go beyond what God gives us confidently. Um, and so um, to try to make a big claim to say, oh, that's the representation of the Trinity, that'd be kind of cool to have Father, Son, Holy Spirit there or something like that, but I don't think we have anything concrete to really make that claim. Um, and speculation can be kind of fun, but I think making it clear, oh, okay, that's just kind of a speculative thing versus something that the Bible is teaching. <laughs> maybe not the most satisfying answer but mm. yeah and if you want to you can uh get up and be prepared and uh Line stand up. behind jake if you need to <clears throat> jake you're making me nervous mm. there are there are two mics yes sir yeah um so i was raised in a baptist church mm -hmm. and uh pretty pretty strict community um yep in which even saying the phrase shut up was considered uh, harmful to another person. And so since then, I've developed a much more colorful vocabulary. <laughs> and my question to you is, is swearing a sin? What words is it ever okay to swear? Is it ever okay? What is, what is your opinion? What's Cornerstone's opinion? <laughs> the official, you need to swear while the official Cornerstone an stance on swearing. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. So um, I, I actually think it's a great question. Is, and I think the thing that's clear in Scripture, going back to Aaron's question, is thou shall not. It's, it's one of the top ten lists. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I think that is a clear line that we have scripturally. And so swearing that would involve God's name, God damn, even saying Jesus Christ in a swearing way, um, I believe is crossing a line, uh, a clear line. Now, you've got other principles, scripturally, of let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, of a, a concept of edification, um, uh, some things like that, that all of a sudden it becomes very contextual and may even depend on who you're with, may depend on the culture surrounding you. And some of that stuff also may be fluid of what was okay with your grandparents may be different than what's okay today. And I think that's where it takes discernment and wisdom. I think the filter of edification is a really good filter. 
Um, I think another filter in Romans, it talks a lot about us being willing to give up our rights for an, a brother or sister. Um, and that's another really good filter of if this is something, okay, what are my lines? That's good to know is before the Lord, what do I feel freedom? But then if you're in a context or a culture among other people that have a different line, then I think out of Christian love, our calling, unless it calls us to sin, our calling is actually to give up our rights. So we may feel the right to talk this way, but we may give up those rights because of love for another person, because they have a different perspective, a different standard. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to list out and try to draw some sort of a line or something like that. I do know um, some people I respect that they believe there is a distinction between, say, I don't know, crap, shit, those kind of words, and stuff that relates to sexuality. Um, and so something, I mean, there's an F-bomb, obviously, but you've got even something like screw you or something like that that has a reference to sexuality, and they, they really make a distinction. And they would say, I, because sexuality is something that I want to honor, it's a God-given beautiful thing, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. And so it's a, it's a at that point, it becomes a little bit complicated because in the hierarchy of, swear words, something like screw, screwed up, that might not rank very high, but for somebody, they may say, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. So, so I, I, that's just for, for sake of illustration. But I think it's, I think it's a great practical question. <laughs> um, and, uh, and certainly Cornerstone's culture is probably different than the Baptist church that you grew up in. So, and not necessarily about um, women in leadership, but more in the specific role as pastors. Uh Um, So scripture gives us um, a lot of examples, even Paul talking about the very commonly (laughs) represented women shouldn't cut their hair. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a very cultural context that that has changed very much. Our culture has changed. I'm curious, how can we discern that scripture, well, <laughs> um, how can we discern that scripture when it speaks of the church and how the church is presented in, in scripture as men in the leadership position of pastors over the church? How can we discern that that's not also cultural and that's exactly what maybe the Lord desires for his church? Great. It's a nice, simple question, though, Mary. Thanks. <laughs> um, no, it's, I, I love that you ask it. Um, so, uh, again, a few, few things is I think the, the cultural context is really, really helpful as we go, okay, be discerning of, um, what is cultural. And I think sometimes that's, again, sometimes that's fairly simple. Sometimes it's more difficult. I think this is, this is a great example of one where it's really difficult and, and trying to humbly look at the Bible, um, look at our culture and go, okay, where, where do we draw these lines? Um, a couple, um, we are not going to do some sort of a theological diving into this topic right now. But um, a few uh, handholds that I think are helpful is, um, one is that I believe we 
our goal needs to be um, with seeing the Bible as um, the Word of God, as something that has real authority in our lives. That's our belief. Um, we need to uh, discern a few. I'm just giving a little bit of context. Is discerning between what what in the Bible is a command, um, very very much true or not true. What in the Bible is a principle, and what in the Bible is just pure preference. And I think we see all three of those. I would say the commands are relatively simple. I think the preference is fairly simple, um, though churches struggle with it at times. But I think principle is is where it gets a little bit more tricky and interesting as well is going okay how do we take in this principle in this context or this culture and apply it here um with that this issue in particular it is um a, a, just a few things that i uh, say that are really important is i think we don't want to restrict something that god does not restrict i think that is very very sober to me um at the same time we don't want to take liberty where do God does not give liberty. And so, ah, what does that mean? Um, very clearly, I believe that um, women are, uh, I'm going to try to be brief here. So, um, so uh, call, can do basically any, anything in the church. And that clearly pastoral work, and I think this is a good distinction, is the work of pastoring, shepherding, caring for people from the role of a pastor or a shepherd or an elder um, is an important distinction. Um, as well, we definitely see examples in the New Testament of women being in a wide range of roles and including public communication, including prophecy, including even, some would say, in apostolic roles, which in a sense is almost because um, often apostles would travel from church to church, in a sense, is almost over um, a local pastor. Um, I would say um, my understanding is that there is something distinct about the role of um, actually being in the role of a local pastor elder, um, which relates to the responsibility before God for that local congregation. Um, it, is, it is something that I am uh, praying consistently with God personally. Um, I actually had a conversation with somebody yes, yesterday. I don't think that's me. Um, is it? What am I doing, Chris? If there's anything I can do differently, let me know. Um, and so it is um, It's something where I have... Um, I've landed in one sense, but I'm also um, wanting to stay humble on. And I think that idea of humble orthodoxy is a really great place to be. Um, the, here's actually, let me give one other thing. Is I think um, the, some of why I am where I am, two things. One is I think we live in um, a culture that is changing and that has changed. And when cultures change, there's always good and there's always bad that goes with it. Um, and so even in my, from my perspective at least, brief life, I've seen um, this perspective really change where uh, 30 years ago, 
in the church context that I was in, we would have been considered very um, progressive in terms of the role of women at that time. Um, we had a woman leading worship. We had a woman, this may sound ridiculous to you guys. Um, we had, we would have women teach up front. We would have women lead in various ways. We'd have women do baptisms, all that kind of stuff. That was, to some people at that time, they would say, whoa, that's crazy. Um, the reality is today, um, with very similar views, we may be considered, I don't know, archaic or old-fashioned or out of touch with culture, and that's in 30 years or less that some of those shifts have happened. And I think that's something where it makes me want to both be aware, but also um, not to take my cues from culture primarily, but to take my cues as much as I can from scripture and, and from that as my foundation. The other thing I was going to say is, um, uh, this relates to kind of the, your question about culture, is some of why this is distinct is that it doesn't simply relate to the culture of the time, is some of the scriptures that talk about um, the role of women in the church reference back to even Adam and Eve and to things that seem more timeless and not just in that time where those were written. So obviously something that can be talked about much more, studied more, much more. And all these questions are going to be incomplete, some more incomplete than others. Uh, I welcome follow-up conversations. So thanks, Mariah. Is this on my thing? Okay. Never mind. Um, okay, so I'm in John chapter 4, uh-huh. um, the woman at the well. This is my favorite story, if you don't know. Um, but so something that I've kind of struggled with when reading this story a lot is how um, we think about the woman. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this story preached um, many different times, um, some of them calling the woman a whore, a prostitute, and some of them saying that she wasn't that. Um, but more often than not, we see her kind of fit the role of, like, the woman on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, but the verse that I'm looking at, 17, says, I have no husband. And then he said, that's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. So we kind of see that she's probably living with a man that she's sleeping with and she's not married to. Right. But then the whole, I've had five husbands before. Right. Um, I, In my mind, I think that there's a lot of reasons why she could have had husbands and then was no longer with them, like divorce or... Um, like separation or um, if he if he died um, but I'm wondering like your opinion on that and um, I don't know where I'm trying to go with this but like is that like what's your take on how we view that woman yeah if that makes sense yeah. I don't know yeah I love that story okay so I'm with you um, yeah I don't know that's a, it's it's one where again what happened to those five guys I don't know was she divorced did they die I mean it seems in the context like there was something less than ideal um, with the previous men. Um, but, yeah, we're not given those details. Um, clearly, her living with the man that she's currently not married with, that's not okay. Um, it's the way it's spoken of is as something that was wrong, that would be sinful. Um, and so this woman, the context, just a little context here. Um, I, think, I think the coolest thing about it is 
Look at how Jesus treated her as compared to how the culture treated her. And I think that's the power of the story is this woman was a Samaritan. She, Jews would not, uh, there was incredible racial prejudice, incredible, where most Jews would not have talked to her on multiple levels because she was a sinner in a very public way, because she was a woman, because she was a Samaritan. I mean, and, and you go, Jesus just busts through all of those and then some and treats this woman with incredible respect, with love, with uh, an, an engagement that's way beyond superficial. I mean, it's not like it's just a passing uh, hello or something like that. It, they spend time together. He actually spends time while the others go off and get something to eat, I think. And so there's just so much going on there that we do know um, and I think can learn from. And I think the biggest message is the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And Jesus offers that freely to this woman. And, and in no way is he, in no way does her past disqualify her from the future God has for her. But he also calls her to repentance and to turn her life around. So he does both of these. Is he offers this love and this grace and this kindness and this engagement. But he doesn't just simply say, you're good. He also says, go and sin no more. And, um, and he really invites her into a relationship with God. Um, and I think that's just such a beautiful template for us, not that any of us are Jesus, but as much as we're called to follow him and to share his message of the gospel uh, of grace through Jesus Christ, I think it's beautiful to see. So, yeah, but the details, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Isn't this working? Okay. Here we go. Um, so, like, also with the cultural context of yeah. it, do you think that her being a woman and having all of these things that make her less privileged, yeah. do you think she would have even had the capabilities to, like, be married to someone and then say, eh, never mind, I'm going to marry you, eh, never mind? Because I think, like, women were viewed as property and women were passed down from husband to husband, so... <coughs> so that, I, that gets really complicated in terms of the culture. Yeah. And uh, uh, I read a really scholarly book about this at one point. And that's the general impression. Um, but the reality was at that time, there were actually a lot of women that were extremely empowered um, okay. and were starting their own businesses and were operating very in kind of a revolutionary way within that culture. Um, some of that was the Roman influence and it was very threatening to some of the traditional cultures. Mm. It seems like this woman was upwardly mobile. It seems like, I mean, even the whole image of her going back to town, she's got kind of this image, but people listen to her, and she has influence. And so I don't know why, but it is not the cowering, I don't know, subjected picture that we often get. And I think that's kind of cool, too. Yeah. Is, to go, <laughs> is that, and, and even the fact that she was there and she was talking to Jesus, so many people would say, how dare you? And yet she blew through those. And so, I, again, every character in the scripture is a mixed bag. And I think there's, even with this woman, there's a lot of commendable aspects. My hope and prayer is that 
she repented and she followed Jesus. And I go, wow, how God could use her in his kingdom is amazing. So thank you. Thank you. Yep. Sometimes people say it's against God's will to take them on. Yep. Some people say that it's against God's will to keep them on because they can't go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some discrepancies with um, in vitro fertilization. Some people say it's against God's will to mm-hmm. use it to create a child. And some people say it's a miracle that God let the mother accept the embryo. Mm-hmm. So my question is, um, how does the church decide what technology is sinful and how we use it? Yeah, yeah, great question. Yeah, these ad- these issues are not addressed much in the Bible. So <laughs> that was meant to yeah. be a joke. I mean, just because, yeah, modern medicine, how does that work? And uh, that's a great question. The um, I think we we have principles, we have commands, um, uh Old Testament again, you shall not murder. Uh, I am I'm going to stick my finger in something really uh, intense, um, recognizing that. But that's where the issue of abortion, it is complicated. But I think there's a single question. And that single question is, is it a life or not? And I think that's the, the question that often doesn't get asked. And I think that's what we have to focus on, or that w- what we should focus on, is is that a human being or not? Now, that may be a complicated question, and people may even arrive at different conclusions, um, but it's the right question to ask. With the stuff that you're talking about, um, there, there are principles as far as um, where, where is the line uh, where, where do we start playing God? Um, and the trick is, is that we, we have technology where we can do things uh, that, in a sense, aren't natural. Putting somebody on life support who would naturally die. Well, that's certainly a good thing in many cases, but where's the line? And, and I think that's, that's where... Uh, it, it is, there, some of it does become a personal question, and you get into things like um, cult, what's happening culturally or even medical ethics, and there are people that are studying this, and uh, I actually know a theologian in, in Champaign-Urbana who this is his main thing, is medical ethics, and it's very, very complicated right now. I mean, things like cloning and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I think the... Um, So I think it's also one where we have to um, uh, we have to figure out what do we believe, and then where is that our personal perspective, and where is it a call to action to try to change 
other people's perspective or our culture. An example is I, my, uh, one of my older sisters um, is single. She's never been married. She is actually a medical doctor herself. She really wanted to have a child. And, and um, in conflict with her uh, church of origin and my parents' uh, opinion, is she, um, she did have a donor and she did um, go through in vitro fertilization and has a daughter who's now in college. And that's a beautiful example for me of where would I have made that decision myself? I honestly don't know. I think, I think probably not, but, but once my sister made that decision, then I absolutely wanted to love my sister and love my niece and have tried to even engage and be a bit of a father figure to my niece because she doesn't have a father. And so that's where there's a conversation about truth and then there's a implementation of truth and love that I think are both really, really important to the Christian life. And we get in trouble when we when we separate those and where we don't see real people involved in the issues. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the ungodly, really hurtful, hateful stuff happens is when people are talking about issues apart from actual real people. So do you have a follow-up question? I don't know if I addressed, is that okay? That was great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, great question. Hey, Matt, we yep. have like eight minutes. Ah, okay. We have I'll talk faster. Maya, then Quinn, then Sam. Great. Cool. Perfect. Sounds great. Thank you, Heather. Hi, Matt. Okay, so uh, I just had a quick question. So we know that Jesus, you know, walked on earth, um, which allowed us to have access to the Father, therefore eliminating the middleman, meaning that we don't need priests anymore. Um, so with that being said, why is Catholicism still practiced? Oh, uh, so, okay. My, uh, my background is actually Roman Catholic. So um, I'm going to try to be brief. Um, so um, Roman Catholicism is, I think that's the, maybe the picture for a lot of people is having a priest as an intermediary between yeah. um, people and God. That's one aspect of Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic Church, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. Um, and why does it still exist? Some, it's a huge institution that's been around forever. Um, and I think, actually, for me, there are many things that I respect about the Roman Catholic Church, and one of them is that they can trace themselves back a long way. Part of me, I respect the Protestant Reformation, it, I think it was necessary. Actually, the Roman Catholic Church would say it was necessary. Um, ironically, things like um, hymns by Martin Luther are actually in the Roman Catholic hymnal. Um, and so there's not a rejection of that. But I think the fruit of um, the Protestant Reformation is actually really sad to me, is the fact that we now have, I don't know how many, hundreds or thousands of different denominations and churches and church splits over all kinds of little things and all these micro divisions and all that kind of stuff. So I think there is some sad things. 
about that. Um, and I do think uh, there is the institution, there's a, a, that's different than the local congregation, and I would say there are some Roman Catholic congregations that I would say are more aligned to uh, a biblical church than some Protestant denominations, or de- pr- Protestant local churches. Um, I would say even Protestant denominations. For me, there are a few things within the Roman Catholic Church that, I, that are hard to get over theologically. Um, if you're interested, talk to, I mean, anybody talk to me about that. Um, I think it, a lot of it comes down to an elevation of tradition where it is in line with scripture, which I'm not comfortable with. Um, some of it is also an elevation of the role of the um, priest or pope um, as far as authority. Um, also, that um, is in, at times um, equal to the Bible. Um, and I'm going to stop there. So uh, I could talk about specifics. Um, but, I, but I think that in a lot of Roman Catholic churches, um, modern Roman Catholic churches, because there's been reformations I think, in the Catholic Church even as recently as maybe 50, 60 years ago, um, that Vatican II, and where they're addressing some of those issues. Church, whatever, Mass is no longer in Latin. Um, uh, some of the way that communion is done, some of the ways that confession is done, is emphasizing different things. And I think there are some local Catholic churches that would emphasize individuals going to God and hold that up, where they would in, 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 uh, encourage individuals to read the Bible, to pray, and that they would, the priest would be in a more, what I would call, biblical, appropriate biblical leadership pastoral role. So that's going to depend some on whatever, the local leadership, the local priest. I'll stop there. Thanks, Maya. Thanks. Yeah. So, Hi, Sam. Okay, so mine's kind of short. I okay. just want to know what's your opinion on having Mary Magdalene as an apostle? So that's kind of hard. Uh, wow, that's a good question. Uh, like, was she? Yeah, like, would she count, or just what's your opinion? Um, so... As best I know, there's no reference to her being in, in that apostolic role. Um, but certainly, person of influence, certainly a leader, it seems like. Um, I'm fascinated by the movie that's coming out. Yeah. My guess is a lot of it is speculative, which could be really entertaining. Um, but I think that'll be, that'll be another place where we'll need to discern of going, okay, what is actually the Bible saying and what is kind of a creative uh, license that they're using with the characters. So, Jeff. Heather, are we? It, it, yeah, if you want to, I think so. Hey. Hi. Um, okay, so you're old. Yes. Um, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> that's my question. Uh, <laughs> In the last, you know, 30 years, um, I guess, what do you think is the greatest spiritual slash cultural challenge facing our generation, and how does that compare to what you felt was the one facing you when you were in college? Does that make sense? Um, yes. 
Um, I think it is the same. Um, I think it is the question of who do we see Jesus as being? Um, and I think throughout every generation since the time of Christ, there have been right views of Jesus and there have been wrong views of Jesus. And I think that continues today. Um, and I think when we, I think we get it really wrong when we think, oh, whatever, today, uh, kids these days, whatever, culture these days, it's just, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And what, I mean, it's usually older people that are saying these kind of things. And they're hearkening back to, oh, man, back in the 70s, we really had it right. Or back in the 50s, those were the good old days. Or back in the 1800s, or I mean, whatever. And I go, no. Every single generation, every single culture had all kinds of issues, all kinds of evils, all kinds of places where they were not right and not aligned with Scripture. And, and I think that, in a sense, never changes. Um, at the same time, we're called to stand up and to speak. And I am not moving. Okay. Um, I'll persevere. Um, uh, so, uh, I lost my thought. Um, yeah, I think there is a call to how do we speak into our culture? Um, how do we bring um, not never changing truths into a constantly changing culture? And I go, that, that's some of why I love Campus Church, is I love that challenge. And I love, I was listening literally on NPR this morning about, they were talking about different generations and, um, and just kind of different stereotypes of different generations. But I think, th I think that question of who is Jesus, and you've got people right at the time of Christ and right after the time of Christ that got it really wrong. And you've got people today that get it really wrong. And you had people back there that got it right, and you've got people that today are getting it right. And I think that's our, that's our primary call. That's our primary call. That's our primary anchor. And that is that Jesus was God. That he is the one and only man who did not sin. He is the one and only person that chose to give up his life for all of us. He is the one, only one that could actually pay the penalty for every sin, past, present, and future. And that, as a result, he is the only qualified Savior. He is the only way to make us right with God. Even as some of us are reading through Leviticus and Numbers and just hearing about all these rules and regulations that we never, no one ever had any hope of actually fulfilling perfectly. There is this incredible mercy in God sending his son to die on our behalf and offering us the gift of new life, the gift of being his child. And I think that is the most important issue in every generation and today as well. So let me stop there. I would love to continue this conversation um, in another context, or maybe we'll even do this again sometime. But thanks for rolling with it. I am going to go ahead and pray, and the band...
you guys want to come? Do you need me to pray for a long time, Kat? Or <laughs> I'm wondering how, how much time you guys need me for. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Um, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time. Um, we trust that you took us some good places. Uh, Lord, I am sure there are things um, that I said that were incomplete, um, that may have been confusing. Um, Lord, I, uh, I ask that you would, um, yeah, take these things that we talked about, some of them very, very heavy and big, and help us continue to ask questions, primarily of you, of your word, but also with one another, and that we would be a culture here within Cornerstone Church that would wrestle with the things that really matter, that we would care about what's true, that we would care about what you say and what you don't say, that we would care enough about our fellow man, um, God, that we would take up the call from you to be salt and light, to be an influence on our culture, to not be passive. Lord, help us to love well, even as we do our best to represent what is true. Help us to trust you when we're misunderstood or judged or uh, even where we fail and maybe we say something or do something that is, isn't a good representation of you, God. I pray that there your grace would cover it, that your mercy would cover it, that you'd help us to humbly go back and do what we can to apologize or to own it. But Lord, help us not to be passive. Lord, help us to go and do all that we can to make disciples within our spheres of influence on this campus, on the Illinois Wesleyan campus at Heartland, and to the ends of the earth, God, wherever you call us. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your name during this time. Pray again for our friend and our pastor, Mike, and ask that you'd help him to recover. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your greatness. Help us to worship you 